0: The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer.
1: Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Mandy Long, founder, CEO, and chairman of Petronas Health. Mandy, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me back, Joe. I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, thanks for making the time to be with us. I know you're really busy. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds and remind the audience about you and your background?
0: Sure. So, my name is Mandy Long. As you said, I have spent about 10 years in health IT. I started my career at Epic as a senior project manager. I then moved on and joined Passport Health Communications, which is now Experian Health, one of the largest clearinghouses in the space. And when I left, I was uh, one of their vice presidents of product management, so I moved from the project side over into the product side, and since then, I uh, most recently was vice president of product management at Modernizing Medicine, which is a surgical specialty, EHR, and since then, I left, and I started, actually, with some friends, Patronus Health, which we are in the business of eradicating medical debt.
1: Outstanding, and that's a great tee-up on my next question. Could you tell the audience how you're serving your customers at Patronus Health?
0: Sure. So we're a startup. We are in the stages right now of developing our pilot, which we are taking to market later this year. But what we're really trying to do is enter the market as a technology. So we'll talk a little bit later about health advocacy as a whole, but it's really an industry that to date has scaled a lot through people. And what we see is a huge opportunity to introduce tech to help connect patients with health advocates to negotiate their medical bills.
1: Perfect. Mandy, you described just this great career, really marquee names. What inspired you to leave the corporate world and to create Patronus Health?
0: I can tell you that the day that I told my husband that I was going to be leaving my job and starting a company, he was a little bit nervous, (laughs) as was I. (laughs) But I've always been a really mission-driven person. And Patronus for me, is very personal. We talked about it on the last podcast we did together. I have a daughter with a rare disease. I have a beautiful little girl who has Turner syndrome. And we have, since before she was born, actually, during my pregnancy care, have really dealt and seen a lot of the depths of the healthcare system when you have a patient or a situation that is chronic and complex in nature. And so what really brought me to doing Petronas was that we had seen over the course of the past few years of her life more and more need for healthcare intervention. And what I saw as a parent is that the system is so complex and can be very difficult to navigate as an individual. And I kept imagining my daughter in 20 years or 30 years and going, oh my gosh, I've been a part of teams that have designed technology for some really amazing companies in healthcare. What can I do for my daughter? And so that was really the thing that caused me to want to do something like Patronus because what I'd like to see happen is that people like my daughter, Mackenzie and other individuals who are struggling with complex cases or chronic diseases don't have to go about it alone. And they don't feel like they need to get lost because there are people out there who are available to help them.
1: God bless you for doing this. I think your timing is perfect. Thank you. Also right on that note of perfect timing. I released an interview today with Jonathan Wick about Patients becoming more and more responsible for the financial part of healthcare. Can you tee up or describe to us what is meant by the medical debt crisis in America?
0: Sure. When you think about debt in America, I think a lot of people recognize that medical debt is a big part of that, but I'm not sure that many people recognize that medical debt is the leading cause of bankruptcy in the United States and that so many individuals are burdened by some variation in medical debt or are in some cases even delaying or not receiving care because of concerns about medical costs. Some of the statistics I think are staggering. I mean, I know that you've talked about this a couple of times in the show. I mean, the healthcare system as a whole cost the United States over $3 trillion a year. And what we're seeing in terms of the statistics is that 25% of Americans say that they owe more in medical debt than they have in an emergency fund. And that 55% of all Americans are worried that they're going to become overwhelmed by medical debt. And that really means that they're scared, right, that something happens. You know, God forbid that they have a catastrophic event or God forbid that someone they love gets sick. And that as a result of trying to do the right thing by getting them the care that they need, they're no longer going to be able to afford to live or pay for the things that they need to keep their family
1: safe and dead. Scary, scary, scary. One incident away from either bankruptcy or financial ruin. It's just terrible.
0: Yeah. And when you look at the overall cost of healthcare for an individual, I mean, I, I read this recently, and it just really made me sit back. So the annual medical cost for a family of four in 2016 was almost $26,000 a year. $26,000 a year. When you think about the cost of the insurance coverage itself, the out-of-pocket costs, I mean, that's a staggering number. I mean, a staggering number. And as a mother, right, and as a a person who has a family and has three young children, I can attest to the cost of healthcare. I mean, just in wellness visits alone and specialist visits and those needs, my husband and I are regularly talking about how we budget in order to afford our daughter getting the care that she needs.
1: There's been guests on our show, and I think they've probably been more hopeful than in reality, talking about consumerism making it to healthcare. Where really are we in terms of? healthcare being a consumer market?
0: I think that the rise of consumerism, the concept or the term around discussing consumerism and healthcare isn't really necessarily new, right? High deductible health plans, I think, first came out in about 2004. But the reality is that healthcare is not a consumer-focused service. It's not, right? If you compare it to e-commerce, right, and the fact that an individual can go on Amazon and shop for about 480 million products at the tips of their fingertips and have it delivered in a price transparent and shipping and delivery transparent way, that certainly doesn't exist in healthcare. But I think what's also happening is that we're seeing this huge shift in perception and in the involvement of the patient population. In my personal opinion, I think What I'm starting to see in the more conversations I have with individuals is that the patient population is not only becoming more educated, they're becoming more interested. And that's, I think, is a result of the cost shift that's happening. Like you talked about earlier, I think you said that it was about 30% of costs that patients are picking up in terms of healthcare. I've seen similar numbers. When you have to actually see those numbers and when you see the bills hitting you, I think you're going to have a reaction because it's not a $50 copay. It's a $1,500 bill to get an echo. And you want to understand whether that number is right or whether if you'd shopped it, it would have been different and whether you had the ability to negotiate it at that point. And I think that's what's changing. I think in addition to that, you see a lot more technology.
1: Absolutely. And the average American family has $400 in their checking account. So that $1,500 bill sets them in a bad way, for sure.
0: Yes, it makes them choose, right, between groceries, or paying their medical bills. And a lot of people, I mean, I know that if I were put in a similar position, what are you going to do? Are you going to feed your kids or are you going to pay your bills?
1: Exactly. How can patients take back their healthcare experience? What tips can you start to offer?
0: There's some really great stuff coming out there. I think you see when you start to Google and look around in the internet for tips as to how you can play a larger role, obviously Patronus and I am focused much more on the financial side of it, but I certainly have had experience beyond just the financial side in helping my daughter and some others that I love navigate the system. And I think a lot of it is rooted in research and questions. If I can use an example of Mackenzie, when I look at Turner syndrome in particular, right, a rare disease, One of the things that I often tell patients who are going in for care for something that they don't totally understand is to try to better understand it. Do the research, get online. Certainly don't (laughs) get into the depths of trying to necessarily go full diagnosis mode on yourself, but there's great peer reviewed literature publicly available. And so if you go online and you can understand what typical symptoms, typical treatments are, when you sit down with your physician, you're going to be better educated And can play a part in the role of that conversation that gets you to whatever the next steps are. I think, in addition to that, you really have the opportunity to play a bigger role in shopping, right? Cash is king. And as patients are absorbing more of their costs, you should be price checking up front. This is a recommendation I give to everyone that I speak to, it's one I do myself. If I'm going to get care somewhere and I have the ability to get on the phone beforehand and do some price checking, there's also some amazing apps out there and some amazing websites. I said tech earlier. It's really coming in more. There's groups like Healthcare Blue Book or Clear Cost. There's even some non that are starting up that are getting donations of claim files and pricing files from patient populations who are really starting to publish this stuff. So you can go out and you can say, okay, what is an echo cost in this area? And when you get on the phone with your physician, you can have that conversation up front. Additionally, another, I think, thing that a lot of people with insurance don't necessarily think about is make sure you understand what the self-pay cost is going to be. There are times when I have absolutely selected to pay as a self-pay patient instead of on the insurance side because it was going to be more affordable. And because I'm having to absorb more and more of those costs myself, if I'm getting the same care and the same outcome at a more reasonable price, that's
1: the one that I want to pay. Exactly. You mentioned healthcare advocacy when we got started. What is healthcare advocacy and who needs an advocate?
0: Healthcare advocates are really guides. You could think of them like trainers or educators or project managers even. They really help patients navigate the complex medical maze that is the healthcare system. And I think the most interesting about the advocacy community and really who advocates are is that they come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and flavors, depending on what the specialty is. So some, for example, like the technology that Patronus is bringing to market, we're supporting the advocacy community that helps on the financial side, right, that negotiates medical bills. But there are so many others, right? There are those who will help you understand your health coverage, who will help you find a covered doctor that matches your needs, who will help you coordinate those doctor's visits, schedule them, help with pre-registration, who may come with you and help take notes or ask questions and help with follow-ups. And there's really a lot of options beyond that, right? I know health advocates who help with research. Maybe there's a new treatment option that may be out there, or is there a potential trial? And rather than having to put all of that burden on a physician's shoulders, you could leverage an advocate to help you look for that. And so when I think about really who would benefit from a health advocate, I think there's a, probably a misconception in the community that healthcare advocates are really only there are only helpful for maybe catastrophic cases or very expensive chronic diseases. But I don't actually necessarily think that's true. I think that any patient who's going through a health event would benefit from a health advocate. Now, you may not need the full suite of services. You might not need every step, every checkbox checked. But given that the rate of error on a medical bill is somewhere in the range of 20 to 80%, I was actually talking to... A friend of mine who started a similar initiative doing research in this space, and what she found is that for acute stays, they were seeing an error rate of about 60%. Given those numbers, I think everyone would benefit from an advocate, even if it's just as
1: the second set of eyes. I couldn't agree with you more, Mandy. I can just think of the two major things that have happened to me in the last five years, where if I was able to connect with an advocate before I engaged with the system and didn't have to figure it out myself, the time I blew out my knee, And went to the emergency room and figured out that visit didn't mean anything and actually slowed me down. And then as a result of the surgery that happened months later, when I had blood clots, had I been able to connect with an advocate in both those cases, my experience financially probably would have been a lot better. It definitely would have been a lot better and probably clinically. So I think there's room in almost every use case in healthcare to develop advocacy programs.
0: I agree with you. I think that note that you made about the clinical outcomes associated with dealing with the financial stress, I think is absolutely true. You can find research out there that talks about the grief process as it relates to medical debt and bankruptcy. You can look and find studies about how a patient's outcomes are absolutely tied to the experience they have in the system. It's not just the treatment itself. And you're right. I think As you progress through the system, what the studies are showing is that maybe you have a really amazing experience up front. Maybe that interaction you have with the physician is spot on and you have a really collaborative discussion and you come up with a great plan and you leave with really good next steps. But then maybe weeks or months later when you get that bill in the mail and it doesn't make sense or there's errors in it and you somehow can't get back to the physician, you're routed through call centers and you're routed through individuals who really don't know your case. And they really only know protocol. And while they may agree with you, I've had instances of this where I called and I said, hey, this price is absurd. <laughs> this is way too high. I checked, I looked around, and it just isn't what we discussed. And I've had individuals agree with me, say, hey, I totally agree. I think that this price is too high, but there's just nothing I can do. You start to see those satisfaction rates from a patient's standpoint go down. And I think that's an important side to talk about is that when we talk about advocacy, it's really not just the patient that benefits from this. I think the provider benefits as well as the payer, because realistically, as we see this cost burden shift more and more to patients, patients can't afford the care they need to be healthy. And as a result of that, hospitals and providers really aren't collecting the payments they need to continue to operate well. And so it just becomes this really negative system of lose-lose where a system can't deliver an optimal patient experience if they can't collect what they need in order to operate. And so I think an advocate really is a win-win for everyone because there's an individual who is really functioning on behalf of the patient who's not there to really question the provider or take that role away from them. and They're not there to question the parent and take that role away from them either. But they're there to be an objective set of eyes to say, hey, have we talked about pricing? Or hey, have we thought about these other things? And there's likely an answer there. But I think as a patient, it helps you be more engaged in your care. And as a provider, you get a second set of eyes on a lot of the things that the patient would have questions about that may actually not be directly related to the clinical questions that you might answer. And the same on the payer side. Payers fund, I don't know what the number is, but I can't imagine that it's small in terms of what they pay on their side to check those bills. How much technology do they put in? How many people in-house as well as outsourced? Are they paying to just check and see and check for errors and help to handle the claims that are coming in? But I think an advocate really does help to cut through a lot of that because they're not waiting until after the fact to try to back into something that already happened, removing the problem solution to the front of the machine.
1: Perfect. I love that. Manny, what's the state of technology in the health advocacy space?
0: It needs some help. <laughs> <laughs> Patronus is, I think we're really well-timed. There are individuals who have tried and organizations who have tried to introduce technology before, but I think that there were a lot of barriers there. I've gotten this question a lot recently around why now, why tech? And if you look at at least what our research has found in the advocacy community now, it's a relatively fragmented space. Um, Most of the scale that's happened to date has been around people, right? You know, they're individuals who maybe through personal experience or through community got involved in advocacy. Some of them have clinical backgrounds, some of them are coders or billers, some of them are just individuals who've really found a calling and found themselves in this world. But there's not a lot of technology that's connecting all of the great pieces that are coming together to help them do their job better, more effectively, and more efficiently, And so when I think about the sort of future of healthcare tech as it relates to health advocacy, I think a lot of it is really piecing together the puzzles that are already in place. And I think 21st century cures, which I know you and I have talked about a lot before, is going to go a long way in breaking down a lot of those data silos. But there's a road to get there. I read a study a couple of days ago. um, I had actually posted about it on social that only 10% of hospital systems are aggressively pursuing pricing strategies and price transparency. Well, that's not enough, right? So there's a lot of work to be done. But when I think about tech now, I think the key is going to be how do you get the patient population educated that advocates exist, what their roles are, and then how do you take these really incredible individuals who have given their lives to advocate for patients and get them with the patients who need them? How do you really take that world, that industry, and help it to get to scale?
1: What a staggering stat. 10% of hospitals are preparing themselves for really where the market already is. It's not where it's going to be tomorrow. It's where it is today. Yeah. I've joked on my show, and people don't believe me, but I've told my doctors they're fired if they don't implement telemedicine by the end of this year. Yeah. And it's going to be the same with patient financial engagement. If I can't know what my bill is going to be at the time of the encounter, and talk through as we decide to do things with me and my family, then that doctor's fired. Yep. I can't afford to find out six weeks later that I owe $1,700 that anymore. it can't be a black box. I've done it for a couple of years, and it's no longer doable. It's painful. It's come into our savings. And for those people that are like the average American that has $400 in their checking account, Those people have long since found other solutions like not paying their bills, which only hurts the physician. So healthcare is going to have to catch up really quick. It does,
0: and I I totally agree with you about telemedicine. I think we talked about that on the last podcast as well. I think there's definitely a shift that needs to happen in terms of reimbursement. That's still out there, right? A lot of commercial pairs are not reimbursing for telemedicine encounters. That being said, we actually, my husband and I did a telemedicine encounter over the weekend because he hit his hand. (laughs) But I think... We look at it, and certainly I look at it in comparison to my copay. Well, what are we likely to pay if we go to urgent care? Probably 60, 70, 80 bucks, depending on what my copay is. Well, if I can do a telemedicine visit for $59 or $40, which is less than my copay, I don't have to leave my house, drive, sit in a waiting room with three kids, (laughs) and try to get through that clinical workflow. It's just a no brainer for me. And so I, I totally agree with you. I think telemedicine is, is a lot of the future, and I love that there's price transparency up front because I know before I go into the encounter what to expect in payment.
1: Well, the other thing about telemedicine, and I know we still have to do certifications across state lines, but yep. now you can create a center that's focused on knees. And when you blow out your knee, they can look at, through the screen at your knee and say, you really need to get to an emergency room. or you know what? There's no bones broken. This is muscle or this is an ACL. And at the emergency room, they're just going to take an expensive x-ray and tell you to go see an orthopedic surgeon. So skip that step. Go see an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, I agree. So why go sit in an emergency room for six hours to get past the waiting room to go see somebody that doesn't do anything for you and you spend all that kinds of money? That's where I think the combination of telehealth and advocacy can really, really spark the consumerism in healthcare. There's a there there for those of us that still want to pay for our healthcare, don't want to leave that $1,800 bill out there. We want to avoid the $1,800 bill and pay a $375 bill and get healthier faster.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Going back to the sort of tips area, I think there's another option as well that, that I certainly leverage in my family that I encourage others to, which is, let's say you have a complex case. And maybe you price shopped up front and got an opinion about it. I can give you an example, again, a personal one. So my daughter recently had a sleep study done and we discovered that she has severe obstructive sleep apnea. Well, going through the sleep study process was fine, right? We were upfront about it. We knew what the pricing was. We went through it. But still at the end of the day, there's a treatment recommendation that we received and I was interested in a second opinion. Well, you we know, prior to technology... What would have happened is that I would have gotten in the car with her and driven to another facility, or I would have maybe gotten on a plane and flew somewhere else to get a second opinion because of the gravity of the potential diagnosis. However, these days, you really don't have to do that anymore. There are organizations like Grand Rounds who, for a flat fee through a lot of organizations, so Boston Children's, for example, offers this, where you can go online and they effectively assign you to an individual for a flat fee upfront, and you can get a full scope second opinion without having to go through the process of navigating the medical system the typical way. So I think there's a lot of places where you're starting to see this tech come into place, and there's a lot of places where health advocates can help you do that. So let's say you go through that initial encounter and you're saying, wow, There's a lot to deal with here. There's a lot to process here. Well, a health advocate could help you research that, could help you potentially research alternative treatment options, could help you get in the process of getting a second opinion. These individuals are really here to help navigate. And what flavor that comes in is really up to the patient and the case. But I think there's a huge amount of opportunity for getting individuals into the game with patients. My dream is that eventually patients are their own health advocates that were over time and able to shift the system to the point where the patient is more educated, the process is more transparent, and you don't need individuals who are really fighting the fight at every step of the way. Maybe they get involved for particular cases, but we're just not there yet. And so I think the way to start is going to be to get those patients paired up with advocates so that we can begin the process.
1: Perfect. What's next for Patronas Health? What are you focusing on the next six months?
0: Where we are right now is that we are in the process of talking to some potential pilot partners. We're in development of the pilot application, and we're looking to launch right around the end of the year, beginning of the year, which is good timing, right, because a lot of folks are getting into new plan years and will be a lot more cost-conscious. So we're Really excited about that. I think for the community, a lot of what we're looking for organizations who are employers, right, are a really interesting area for us in terms of partnership because they have employees who are having to absorb a lot more of this cost as they move to high deductible health plans. And so we're looking for those employers who are really excited about offering their employees an option to work with an advocate. And it's a trend in the employer space. I'm going to a conference this week, actually, where you're seeing about 45% of medium to large size employers are starting to offer health advocacy. So we're really excited about that. Additionally, what we're looking to do is potentially get involved with some organizations who are more focused on particularly complex cases. So oncology has been a big focus for us recently. We've had some cases come through that we're looking at there, as well as some rare diseases. So we're really excited about the the future. And I think my hope is that when we get into the first quarter of 2018, we'll start to have some really interesting statistics come out of the, the tech and can start to go more quickly.
1: Perfect. And for those that are going to keep up with this, like me, go right now to PatronusHealth.co. That's P-A-T-R-O-N-U-S-H-E-A-L-T-H dot C-O. Bookmark that site. Keep up with what Mandy and their team are doing. I'm sure they're going to have lots of great news every couple of months, and it's stuff you don't want to miss. And you're going to need an advocate, trust me. The more and more employers are pushing away the healthcare obligation, which I think is another dynamic we didn't even talk about, the more that we're going to need advocates out there helping us to get the most out of what we do spend for our healthcare dollar. Mandy, it was so great to have you today. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your great news about Patronus and the things you're doing.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Joe.
1: Absolutely wonderful discussion. Oh, it's my pleasure. And that wraps this broadcast on behalf of our guest, Mandy Long. I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.